Glad to see you here today. I know that we don't often have, uh, have Christmas fall on a Sunday. It's been six years since the last time that that happened. And so this is not a regular occurrence for us to get together on this day. But it feels right, doesn't it? Just to get, gather on Christmas Day and sing these songs and celebrate the birth of Jesus. I, I always thought that it's interesting that the common dessert for Christmas is pies and, and cookies because I feel like it was a layup just to have it be cake, right? Like the birthday of Jesus. Any of you have cake for Christmas? Like make Jesus a birthday cake? Somebody, okay, good. I think you guys have it right. The rest of us eating apple pie or Christmas cookies or whatever else we're doing, I think we missed something there. But I do like apple pie, so I'm not complaining that much. If my mom, who might be watching this, if you made that for tomorrow, sounds good. Save me some. Can't wait. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, one final time for this series. And, and if you want to turn there, uh, that's page 983. If you want to grab the Bible right in front of you and open it, we're also going to spend some time in Luke 2 as well. So if you want to pick both of those passages or one or the other, that's fine. All the words will be on the screen. If you want to find Luke 2 in that Bible in front of you, that's page 857. 857 is where you can find Luke chapter 2. We'll be in both of those as well as a few others uh, this morning as we think about Jesus being our peacemaker. And if you are a guest with us, thank you so much for coming on Christmas Day. If you're watching online, welcome to you as well. Uh, we want you to know uh, that we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God himself. We believe that God has revealed himself to us through his word so we can know him and we can love him, and we can worship him, as we just did corporately today. In fact, we believe so much in the sufficiency of Scripture uh, that we don't believe that what I'm about to say matters at all, unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. Uh, we want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think about Jesus. What matters is what the Bible says about Jesus. It, it doesn't matter what, what the symbol of Jesus at Christmas has come to mean in this commercial holiday. What matters is what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus. And so we just want to open God's word today, and we want to celebrate who Jesus is. And, and this December, we, we have been going through the descriptions of Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We didn't get through all of them, but we've been going through quite a few of them, because if we want to understand Christmas, we have to understand who Jesus is. If we want to celebrate Christmas correctly, then, then we have to celebrate Jesus. Not, not just as another holiday symbol, but as he has revealed himself to us through his word. And, and, and so we know uh, that, that Christmas as a holiday season sort of hits everyone differently. Right? And some of you love Christmas Day, and some of you are so excited for the holidays to be over, and you're like, if I can just get to New Year's, then I'll feel better. Right? This hits everyone differently. Uh, we experience all sorts of different emotions based on what's going on in our lives, but there is one constant, no matter what else is happening, and that's the reality that Jesus is worth celebrating. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus is worth celebrating. So, so let me draw our attention one more time 
to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It has been so helpful for me to have this passage at the forefront of my mind this month, this Christmas season, and, and I trust it has been for you as well. And so let's look at this passage and let's worship Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. He makes what was formerly invisible visible. He's the firstborn of all creation, first in priority, first in rank over everything else. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, anything else, right? All things were created through him and for him. Purpose for our lives, right there. I was created by Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is what we saw last night, surpassing everything else in priority and significance. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fully God, fully man. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Making peace by the blood of his cross. The wonder of Christmas is not found in lights and trees and presents. Uh, by the way, we made it to 7 a.m., this morning before gifts were open, 7 a.m. at the Pine Household, which is an hour later than last year. So we are headed in the correct direction. Maybe you haven't even opened them yet. Man, your character has really been built up if you're waiting until after church to open presents. Way to go. 7 a.m. is how long we made it this morning. Right? But the wonder of Christmas isn't just found in, in the trees and, and the presents, although the pictures were cute this morning. The wonder of Christmas isn't just found in a baby in a manger. The wonder of Christmas is found in the realization that that baby is so much more, so much more than just a baby. He's the image of the invisible God, the creator of all. The fullness of God is with us. He's first in everything. He surpasses everything else in significance and priority. And then finally, Paul says, Jesus is the one who makes peace. That's what we're going to focus on today. Jesus is the one who makes peace. And we all long for peace, don't we? I've, I've never met anyone that would say, no, I don't really care about having peace in my life. Right? Have you ever met anyone that says that? I think it's this universal desire right, that everyone has. They want whatever they think it is. They want peace. And, and I think the reason that we all long universally for peace is because it's so elusive. In fact, I would argue that when we talk about having peace now, we are usually talking about a personal state of being rather than a public reality, right? When we think about peace, we're usually thinking about peace in our, in our souls, in our hearts, right? A personal state of being rather than a public reality because that's kind of all that seems achievable, Right? We, we long for our souls to be at peace even if the world around us is in turmoil, 
right? And, and so maybe like during the Olympics, they'll have these sh- shows of unity and try to act like world peace is possible. But you watch that and you're like, okay, that's nice for kids to sing a song, but that's not like actually possible, right? You, we sort of have ruled that out. So maybe if I can just find some peace for myself, right? That's, that's, what, I, that's what I need. Or maybe we try to create a peaceful environment a- as an escape from the real world that no one would ever confuse for being peaceful. Uh, Peace in the Pine household is is synonymous for all the kids are asleep at the same time. Hurry, you know, like fall asleep ourselves before they wake up, right? Just, right, all the kids are asleep. But that's a very fragile state of being. That's a very fragile peace, to say the least. And yet hundreds of years before Jesus' arrival, the prophets started promising peace to a world that was filled with turmoil. So you have prophecies like Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Look at this on the screen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You have this promise of peace. And, and it would be helpful to, to know, and if maybe you know this already, but to remember that this prophecy, the prophet Isaiah, he was writing in a time of both inner and outer darkness for the kingdom of Judah. The external situation for God's people at this time was bleak. They were being invaded. They were entering into exile in Babylon. Their economy was devastated. Their homeland was going to be ravaged. And this was, of course, a judgment on and a reflection of their inner spiritual condition. They were not walking humbly with their God. They were unfaithful to the covenant that they had made with him. And so Isaiah is promising God's judgment on them as a nation. But at the same time, Hope was not completely lost because God was not done. And in the midst of this prophecy about judgment, we have this amazing promise of peace. And if you notice in those verses, the promise of peace is not merely for peace on a, on a personal level, right? But on an ever-increasing corporate kingdom level of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And then hundreds of years later, that promise begins to be fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. And when Jesus arrived, the angels were quick to share the proposal of peace, the offer of peace with the shepherds. And so I want to walk through these familiar verses in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there, that's great. If you want to look on the screen, that's fine as well. But I want to walk through these familiar verses in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, as we think about this promise and proposal and purpose of peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, because that's what you would expect when we, as sinful man, see the glory of the Lord. 
When, when you catch a, even just a glimpse of the greatness and the glory of God, you also get a better picture of how small you are, and there is real fear in that moment. But beyond that, an angelic visitor was not exactly a common feature of a shepherd's job. And so fear was always going to be the response to an event like this. And, and, and just saying that they were filled with great fear might be underselling how they felt in that moment. They probably felt that they were about to die. Okay, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. Those are two beautifully assuring words, aren't they? Fear not. Your natural and understandable response of fear is not a necessary emotion for this event. For behold, look at this. Look at this. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And as proof that this good news is for all the people, it was being given first to unpopular, uneducated, ceremonially unclean shepherds. All the people, including you. All the people, including you. If you, if you have children, think back to the first person you called after having a baby. And here's my question. Was it a shepherd? I'm, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming no, right? Because that news wasn't for them. <laughs> Right? It was for your mom, right? It was for your parents. It was for your family. It was for those of you. None of you called a shepherd that day because the news of your child's birth wasn't for them. But the good news the angel shared that night of this baby's birth was for everyone, including shepherds that no one cares about, right? For unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This might be the most beautiful sentence that has ever been spoken. This is for you, shepherds that no one knows exist. This is for you, single mom who wishes she could afford more presents for her children. This is for the one struggling with addiction. It's for people that had too much to drink last night. It's for the man that just lost his job. It's for the one grieving the loss of a loved one this Christmas. It's for kids in foster care spending Christmas away from their biological family. It's not not just for the privileged and not just for the select few. The angel had good news of great joy for all the people, for all the people. For unto you is born this day, this day. It was a real day, church. It was a real day. It wasn't just once upon a time, right? And it was a day whose date became the reference point for every other date ever since, if anyone ever tries to downplay the significance of Jesus' birth, you can just kindly ask them what year it is. And if you do that within the next week and they answer it's 2022, right? Then you just ask them, 2022 years since what? 2022 years since what? This birth is the reference point for every other date that has ever come after it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a real place, not in a land far, far away, right? It was a seemingly unimportant city that still exists today over 2,000 years later. Bethlehem, a Savior has been born who is Christ 
the Lord. The one who can deliver you from the guilt of your sin is here. Salvation has come. The one who can bring true peace to your turmoil-filled life has arrived. The one who can bring you safety and security and satisfaction is lying in the place that animals eat out of. Christ, the Lord, has been born. And this will be a sign for you. As if, like, I know this is too hard for you to believe, right? I need a sign to prove it. Well, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. So if you want proof that there's a baby, right, the sign is, there's the baby. I I like that. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice that it only took one angel to deliver the message of good news, but it took a multitude of the heavenly hosts to adequately respond to the good news. That's corporate worship right there. One person delivers the message of good news. A multitude of the heavenly hosts respond to the good news. And as John Piper said, there is hardly a better way to sum up what God was about when he created the world or when he came to reclaim the world in Jesus Christ. He was about his glory and our peace, his greatness our joy, his beauty, our pleasure. The point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. God means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. This is the proposal of peace, the offer that goes out to all who will hear the multitude of the heavenly hosts. True peace with God, from God, is available. Not something that is merely a temporary escape from reality, no. It is a peace that stabilizes you in the middle, in the middle of the messiness of our reality, a calm in the middle of life's storms. And that inner peace with God, I would argue that the scripture argues, is merely a preview of a future corporate reality of the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus came to bring to your heart what he will bring to his eternal kingdom. True and lasting peace. And these verses, I would say, not only share the proposal of peace, they also exemplify the purpose, the purpose of peace. You see, the purpose of peace descending from God to man is so that glory will ascend from man to God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace from God descends to man. Glory ascends from man to God. Because the glory of God is always the ultimate end. 
And God means to be glorified by the praises of a peace-filled new humanity that Jesus came to create. That's what the church is intended to be a preview of, by the way. God's peace has descended to us so that our worship will ascend to him. But these verses leave us with some unanswered questions about this peace. And, and, and the first uh, that I think of is, why does us receiving peace result in God receiving glory? Why is, that just an, why is that just a natural reaction? We receive peace, we give God glory. Why is that the case? And second, how, how is peace with a holy God even possible? Like how, how does that happen? How can we as sinners have peace with a holy God? I want to answer those two questions, and I'll answer the first by looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verses 12 through 14. These are on the screen. Ephesians 2, 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul says this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's reminding these Gentile believers that things used to be really bad for them on a spiritual level. They were totally separate from any sort of hope and any sort of peace. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay. Paul is reminding Gentile believers of how they have been brought into the family of God. And and, and we see once again that God does not intend for his peace just to stop with us, right? Or to stop with you as an individual. Believe it or not, peace with God is intended to lead to peace with others who have peace with God, who then glorify God through their oneness while looking forward to the day when Jesus returns to reign and of the increase of his government and of peace, there would be no end. That's what Paul wanted to see in the Ephesian church, Jews and Gentiles together having been made one, that dividing wall of hostility has broken, been broken down and they glorify God as one together as those who have received his peace. And, and so that's great and all, but my guess is that feels somewhat abstract to you today, right? And maybe it's distant, and maybe all that talk of oneness and unity is just a smidge to kumbaya for your taste, and you're like, okay, but that's not really practical for me. So, so let me point out a truth that I'm praying is practical and, and, and helpful for you, no matter what situation you find yourself in this Christmas. Verse 14 says that Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace. So if you are searching for peace in your life this Christmas, I want you to know that you are not searching for a feeling and you are not searching for a place. You are searching for a person. And the Bible is clear that if you have Jesus, then you have 
peace. And if you don't have Jesus, you might have an imitation of peace, and you might have a temporary escape, but you don't have true peace without Jesus because Jesus himself is our peace. He is where peace is found. He is the treasure who contains all of the treasure. And when life is especially stressful and chaotic, everyone has their escapes, right? All of you have this place that you want to try to escape to, to get away from the reality of it all, right? So maybe you find yourself saying, man, I really need a vacation. I really need a vacation. Or, or maybe you say, I need to go to the gym. Or maybe you say, I need a drink. Or maybe it's, I need a manicure, right? Or, or for me, it's, I need, I need to go to the golf course, right? I need to go golfing. That's, that's my escape, okay? I, I know golfing frustrates some people. I try not to let myself get frustrated because I remind myself, this is my escape. This has to be fun, okay? <laughs> this has to be fun. But, but if you want more than a temporary solution to the calamity that is this life, you need to find Jesus. You need to find Jesus. On the very first Christmas, God's peace literally descended to earth because Jesus came to be our Emmanuel. God is with us, which means that peace is with us. And if, you, and if, you're, and if you're thinking about that and you're wondering, wait a minute, Jesus isn't here anymore, right? So if, if peace came at Christmas because Jesus is our peace, did, did peace also leave when Jesus left? Great question. The disciples were worried about that too. John 14, 26 through 27. Jesus is reassuring them and he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, right? Not the manicure, not the vacation, not the golf course, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the disciples were troubled because Jesus was going away, but he promised his peace would stay because the Holy Spirit of God was coming to indwell all those who placed their faith in Jesus, filling them with Jesus' peace. But, but that's getting a little ahead of ourselves because we still need to answer the question, how is that peace with God even possible? How is that accessible to me in my situation, in my life? Is there something I have to do to earn it? Is there, is there all these things I need to do to achieve peace in my life? And the answer is that the birth we celebrate today is far from the end of the story. And it seems fitting to bring us back to Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. This passage that we've been focused on this week says that he, or this month, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth 
or in heaven, here we go, making peace. How? Just by his arrival? Just by him being born as a baby? No, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the provision of peace. Our our most fundamental need, I would argue, is to have peace with God. Your most fundamental need is to have peace with God. And that is exactly what our sin had destroyed. Because we have all rebelled against God's authority and against his word. We, we think we know better. We've all gone our own way. And so rather than us having peace with God, the Bible describes us as his enemies. We saw that a little bit in Ephesians 2, right? Separated, far off, no hope, without God in the world. The perpetual conflict that we see in this world, I would argue, is really just an outward reflection of humanity's spiritual condition. We aren't at peace. So peace came in the person of Jesus to bring peace and to establish a kingdom of peace. And Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. Instead of a life of rebellion against the Father, Jesus lived in submission to the perfect will of the Father. And then, in order to make peace, Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die. And and I want you to see how amazing this is. Because usually, when when a, a general goes to war to establish a kingdom of peace, he sheds the blood of others in order to do so. But Jesus won the battle for peace by shedding his own blood. You think about a general that goes and he wants peace for his country. What does he have to do? He has to go to war. And there is blood shed in order to bring about peace for his people. Right? And Jesus came. And he came to establish a kingdom of peace. Right? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And in order to establish that kingdom of peace, Jesus didn't shed the blood of others. He shed his own blood for us on the cross. Colossians 1.20. He made peace by the blood of his cross. He satisfied the justice of God by paying the debt that we could not afford to pay. And then Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave. He won the battle for peace. So by placing your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, if you bow your knee to Jesus as king, all of your sins, no matter what you've done, all your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your formerly guilty account. You become part of this eternal kingdom of God. Now you need not fear the grave. Peace. Peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. He calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. And he did so by making peace through the blood of his cross. Church, we celebrate Christmas by receiving peace from God and giving glory to God. You want to celebrate Christmas today? Do this. Receive his peace and give him glory. Let his peace descend to you and let your, let your glory for him ascend to him. 
I don't want you to have to settle for a cheap imitation for peace this Christmas. I don't want you to have to rely on a temporary solution. I don't want you to have to wait for your next vacation or for all your kids to be asleep or for it to be warm enough to go golfing. Because peace is not found in a feeling and it is not found in a location. Peace is found in a person. And it's a person who was born on a real day in history in a real place in Bethlehem. And then he died on a cross at Calvary to provide peace from God with God. So today, we can join with the heavenly hosts and say, glory to God in the highest. Peace has come to earth. And so my question for you today is, has the peace of Jesus come to your heart? Have you experienced true and lasting peace in the person of Jesus? Or are you relying on imitations and temporary solutions to an eternal problem? Are you always seeking escapes from reality? Or have you experienced the peace of Jesus in the middle of your mess, in the middle of the harsh reality of this world? That's what I want for all of you. And so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you have questions about him, we would love for today to be the day that you receive the greatest gift that you can ever receive, which is Jesus and Jesus alone. He can bring peace to your turmoil-filled life if you trust his life, his death, his resurrection, and bow your knee to him as king. I want you to have his peace in your heart today. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful today that even though this holiday season comes and goes, December is only one month in the calendar year, The peace that Jesus came to provide is not temporary. It is eternal. In fact, the peace that we can experience in our hearts is merely a preview of what your eternal kingdom is going to be like. And so I pray that today we would not seek a temporary solution and we would not seek a momentary escape but that we would seek Jesus trusting that he alone has the peace that our hearts need. Thank you Jesus, that you did not come to establish peace by shedding the blood of rebels, because that's what we deserved, but you instead came to establish peace by shedding your own blood. What amazing truth. What a glorious gospel. You deserve all the glory and all the worship and all the praise. You deserve to be preeminent, to surpass everything else in priority and significance. And so I pray that we would lift you up where you deserve today, in our hearts and in our minds and with our words and our actions. I pray that we would adore you today and every day because peace has come and it has a name and it's Jesus. And it's in that name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen.